Welcome to episode 280 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we discuss Luai, the free agent, the Warriors CEO versus the NRL and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 280 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? Well, Dr. T, I am always excited when I see the West Tigers on top of the ladder. Um, But unfortunately, (laughs) well, not unfortunately, I think it's great that we're on top of the ladder for the NRLW uh, but uh, only if the men can replicate. And, um, you know, who knows? One day maybe the NRLW West Tigers women's team will actually beat the men's team. <laughs> yeah, well, probably even now. Uh, you never <laughs> yeah, know. Right. But, um, yeah, look, well done. Tigers get a win. That's pretty good. Unfortunately, the Eels got no wins this weekend <laughs> with either of the women's or the, or the men's. So not much to smile about, I think, from my side. But, um Look, there's a lot. There's a lot that is happening in the world of rugby league. There is, uh, you know, the, the the finals are starting to sort of uh, the teams are starting to sort of, uh, you know, sort themselves out. Um, the ones that are making their run for the finals are starting to make themselves known very clearly, I think. Mm. Uh, and and then the others are kind of, yeah, they're they're on the on the edge, uh, teetering on the edge, and and we'll talk about that uh, soon as well. But look, without any further ado, let's just jump into it. Tackle number one, the round 21 review. All right, round 21 was upon us. And here were the scores. St. George Laura Dragons in the Battle of the Spoon defeated the West Tigers 18 to 14. Um, you know, it's still it's still a race for the spoon, but you know, it looks like even with a few uh, games to go, the Tigers are probably firming up to to win the wooden spoon this year. Um, the next game was uh, a great game: the Warriors twenty-one twenty over the Canberra Raiders in front of uh, about nineteen thousand or so fans there in Auckland. Uh, the Broncos thirty-six twenty over the South Sydney Rabbitohs at Sunshine Coast Stadium on the Friday night. And then on Saturday, we had three games. It was the Roosters, 36-18 to 18 over the Gold Coast Titans in front of 15 or so thousand at Gold Coast, Seabus Super Stadium. Um, the Knights upsetting the storm, 26-18 to 18, uh, in front of over 20,000 at Newcastle McDonald Jones Stadium. Well done to the fans there who keep turning up week after week, despite the fact that they're, uh, you know, well, they're fighting for the eight, but they're not quite up there yet. So well done, Knights fans. Uh, and, and an epic win, obviously, over the, the storm. We'll get into that in a minute. Cowboys 24-16 over the Eels at Queensland Country Bank Stadium in front of another healthy crowd, 20,000 or so there at Townsville. Panthers 44-18 to over the Bulldogs uh, at Bluebet Stadium in Penrith. 
front of uh, another healthy 21,000, 21,500 fans. And finally, the Sea Eagles 30 over the Sharks 26 at Points Bet Stadium in front of about 10,000 or so fans, and the Dolphins had the bye. Uh, Tish, I'll hand over to you. What were your, uh, I guess, key takeaways from this round? What were the highlights and lowlights? Well, look, um, I know we spoke about them last week, and uh, just the way the game went, I thought, oh, no, they've got the Rugby League, Repo- um, Rugby League Republic podcast curse, right, where we praise a team and then all of a sudden they stop performing. But, look, it didn't even happen like that because – you know, uh, they won the game uh, against the Raiders. It went into Golden Point. And, uh, you know, also I've got to say I don't – the Raiders played well and I, I kind of felt that they deserved the win a little bit more than the Warriors. The Warriors uh, sort of missed out on some chances. There was a couple of defensive lapses that they had, which wasn't good. But then it's also one of the signs of a good team because a good team is a team that can win – despite not playing their best. And I thought the Warriors actually showed that. So, and bumping into uh, round three. So I think, uh, look, you know, number three on the ladder, I think that is uh, tremendous. And I think also what we have seen as well is the Broncos getting very, like in a very impressive victory over the Rabbitohs, who have been waning a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, another team that seems to be on the decline is the Sharks, you know, the Sharks losing at home to Manly, who were not in the top eight. And, um, look, despite the the close scoreline in the end, I mean, the reality is that, um, you know, I think Manly scored most of their points in the first half anyway, right? And I also believe that, you know, they missed quite a number of goals as well. Um, so, yeah, so maybe the score scoreline kind of flattened, uh, you know, uh, flattered the, um, the Sharks a little bit. So I'd say... Yeah, so I'd say, look, Warriors looking strong and then Sharks on the decline are probably the two big takeaways out of round 21. What about yourself, Dr. T? Uh, yeah, look, I'd, I'd, uh, I would add to the – look, the Warriors I think is the key uh, the, the key kind of uh, takeaway there. They're, the, the, you know, I mean, the Raiders, look, I wouldn't say they're premiership contenders, but, um, you know, look, the Warriors are just winning. They're winning. They're winning the games that they shouldn't be winning. They're winning the games that they should be winning. They're just getting into a winning culture, and that's they're doing the little things right. And I think that's, um, I think that's what's separating some of these teams at the moment. Um, now the Warriors have momentum. The Cowboys have momentum. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago they were sort of ridden off a little bit, and now they're making a comeback. And and um, you know, I believe, in fact, I probably I forgot to mention the ladder. Let me just go through the ladder. Cowboys are in the top eight now, so they've they've snuck their way in. Um, you know, a few weeks ago we were not even considering them for the top eight. So let me just revise uh, or review the the ladder. Panthers, Broncos uh, at on thirty two points each. But with the uh, superior for and against the Panthers, uh, you know, way ahead there. In fact, they're, they're, the reason for their superior for and against really is their defense. Uh, easily the, the best defense in the league by over 100 points, uh, which is just amazing. So that's where the Panthers are winning this year. Um, Broncos in second place, still on 32 points. Then you've got the Warriors, the Storm and the Raiders equal on 28 points. Third, fourth and fifth. Warriors have now obviously snuck up there because of their, um, their for and against uh, well, they only had one <laughs> plus one this time, but I think uh, for whatever reason, I think the Storm by losing um, uh, missed their opportunity to to stay in third spot. 
They're now fourth. Uh, and then obviously the Raiders with a negative <laughs> differential uh, on fifth. Um, then you've got Sharks and Cowboys equal on 26 points. Uh, and then you've got uh, Eels and Rabbitohs equal on 24 points. But Eels are just just slightly in the top eight with a slight differential uh, that's better than, than the Rabbitohs. And then you've got the Knights that are on and the Seagulls that are on 23 points. So they're literally one point away from the top eight. And then you've got the Roosters and the Dolphins, 22 points, that are two points for one win away from the top eight. And then, you know, you could even go down all the way to number 14, the Titans, who are on 20 points, who are only two wins out of the top eight, um, who could still make it. And are really the only teams, I think, that have no mathematical chance are the Dragons, Bulldogs, and Tigers. Dragons and Bulldogs on 16 points each, and the Tigers, unfortunately, on 12. Um, back, back up the, you know, back up the ladder, we're talking Warriors, Cowboys, uh, going up, and really, it's about the Eels, the Rabbitohs, and the Storm. To be honest, the way the Knights, um, they were dominant over the Storm. I mean, it never really mm. looked like the Storm were going to win, uh, and that, to me, is is a big takeaway that this was not just a fluke night's win. They were dominant. They were dominant where it counted. They, they, uh, you know, the, the storm, you could say they made characteristic, uncharacteristic errors. Um, you know, the, they didn't do the little things right. So back to what I'm saying, I think the theme of that is, you know, you look at the Warriors and you look at the Cowboys and how they've turned their season around. And it is about doing the little things right. You look at why the Panthers are up there, uh, you know, at number one. It's they're doing the little things right. Why did the Broncos defeat the Rabbitohs? It wasn't necessarily, you know, it was a good matchup, but ultimately it was the Rabbitohs that didn't do the little things right. You know, Cody Walker, for all of his, um, you know, uh, the, the positives coming out of that Origin 3 game, um, you know, made some pretty crucial errors and, and didn't really contribute much there. And I think you would, if you were a Rabbitohs fan, you'd be expecting a lot more from Cody Walker. Um, and he just didn't put it together. It was, it was actually quite, kind of abysmal the way, the way that, um, the way that they played, uh, you know, again, uncharacteristic of the Rabbitohs. The Eels, look, the scoreline was flattering in the end, but as you said, uh, or maybe you didn't say, but, um, the, the Cowboys, I think, um, were dominant over the Eels, and the Eels have a lot to, to sort of um, claw their way back. So, um, yeah, the, it is all about the little things and, and the teams that are uh, on the up and up, uh, regardless of their position on the ladder, seem to be doing the little things right and, and just getting on with it. Um, you know, clutch plays for the Warriors. In years gone by, a Warriors-Raiders, um, you know, goal, golden point, would have ended up with the Raiders winning because they've just got some clutch players like Jack Whiten and they've got Ricky Stewart who manages to shepherd them around, you know, and, and uh, get the most out of them in, in that passion that he brings to the game. But for some reason, this year is different for the Warriors. They, uh, Sean Johnson, you know, uh, clutch when it counts. And I think that to me is the key thing. He's a hero of the round because he has definitely given them a lot of hope. Uh, and, uh, and he's given, you know, the Warriors in general, the Warriors fans, they're, they're, they've got a lot, uh, you know, you wouldn't have expected them to be here even like a month ago. <laughs> but here they are, they're at number three um, and it and above the storm, no less. So, um, yeah, and we're going to get into the Warriors later, yeah. but uh, there's... But, just in general, I think that's uh, yeah, that's that's my wrap of the of the weekend gone by. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, look, just a, a little small point on um, the Storm. The Storm do have quite a number of players out. They have they have six of their, you know, their thirty sort of out. Um, but if you look at the names, only really uh, Nelson, Asafa, Solomona, and Ryan Peppenhausen are like sort of the big names. But um, you know, on the flip point, they've got six out, but the Warriors actually have eight out of their lineup as well. So even like, you know, we kind of had that old cliche a little bit of like, well, you need to make sure that you get your top 17 in the side and playing every week. Well, the Warriors, they're also contending with injuries, but yet still able to uh, to do so well. So, um, yeah, very, yeah. Well, I know we'll go into a lot of them, but very unlike storm season for them, I'd say. All right. Um Look, let's move on to tackle number two. One of the big pieces of news to come out of the NRL today. Uh, it's about Jerome Luai. Here we go. All right. So, look, uh, you know, it's this time of year that we're getting a lot of uh, movements in the transfer market, there's a lot of, uh, you know, dust. Uh, is it Lossick is coming back from England to play for the Eels? Um, you know, the, there's a lot of movements happening, mostly seems seemingly to the Bulldogs, actually. But anyway, <laughs> um, but but even our Penrith Panthers, our premiers, the Penrith Panthers, have uh, are not immune from this activity. So because of their superstar fullback, Dylan Edwards, uh, reportedly uh, signing, about to sign a big extension with the Panthers worth approximately 950000 per season. Um, this has caused a bit of consequences for, um, uh, for, for others in the lineup and uh, in particular, Jerome Luai. So, um, you know, we spoke recently about, in fact, last week, I think about the, the best spine in the league and, and who's the most expensive. And and the Panthers, um, you know, by by having uh, Dylan Edwards, I think undervalued. I think there was a recognition that there would be there'd have to be a correction at some point, and and the correction is about to happen. Um, you know, uh, so let's not forget he's also the reigning Clive Churchill medalist. He's got a lot um, a lot of people, uh, you know, pushing for him to be the next New South Wales fullback. Next year, even possibly uh, before even t- Teddy has a chance to retire um, or, or claim himself unavailable. But um, again, Dylan Edwards, if his contract is extended and if that's the value that they're looking at, a three-year, $2.3 million contract extension, this means that that may not have enough left uh, in the cap to afford Jerome Luai. Um, so, so I guess the question is, you know, th- there's been some speculation about if Jerome Luai uh, is to be uh, a free agent very shortly, what does that mean for, uh, you know, what clubs are most likely to be knocking on the door? Um, and so I just thought I'd raise this as a, uh, uh, I guess, a bit of a hypothetical. It hasn't happened yet. I don't think there's been an announcement yet, but I think this is kind of the writing on the wall at the moment. Um, Tish, who do you think... Uh, which team do you think is most likely to make a play for Jerome Luai? Well, look, there. I think any club is going to want him. And, um, you know, I think as reported last week as well, uh, you know, as a 5'8", he is currently on, um, yeah, I think 
uh, from the reports. I'm actually just looking at last week. I think he's on six eight six hundred and eighty. So you know, just just shy of seven hundred thousand, right? So in terms of other sort of five eights in the in the marketplace, right? He's actually like he's behind Luke Carey, um, you know, of the Roosters. Um, so so here's the thing: can the Roosters just offer Jerome Luai Luke Carey's pay, right? <laughs> and just sign him up like that? Do you get know what I mean? Um, that could be that could be one. Uh, thing like you know, I know, I know. We normally don't talk about the Roosters straight away, but like they seem to be able to pick up the good players, right? Um, and then so like you know, if you look at Cameron Munster, he's on one point two five million, right? So, um, you know, so there's a big delta there, right, between those two. <laughs> and um, who's got the better upside? I mean, Jerome's much younger, right? Um, and you know, he could probably play well next to Jerome Hughes as well. That's that that's a pretty exciting sort of venture as well. I mean, Josh Schuster is on eight hundred thousand um, as the five eight for Manly, right? Um, Dylan Brown eight hundred thousand at Eels as well. So he's quite a long way behind quite a lot of players who are playing in good clubs. So he doesn't necessarily need to field, unfortunately for me, the Tigers, the Bulldogs, the Dragons, you know, the Titans, any of those teams, um, because you know he is actually even with and a hundred thousand dollar increase, even with a two hundred thousand dollar increase, he might still be, uh, you know, less expensive for some of the bigger clubs who already have a five eighth in there that is getting paid more than him. Uh, now, the thing is, this is where the Panthers have got a little bit of a problem, right? Because Dylan Edwards, um, according uh, to you know, so, sort of the data that we we're looking at last week, he's only on four hundred fifty thousand, right? So. Doubling him, um, that would also have to be a priority because he himself is behind uh, James Tedesco, Latrell Mitchell, um, and like you know, quite probably yeah, what uh, Kalen Ponger as well, right? Um, Tom Trevojevic. So he's under, like, you know, even Gutherson, yeah, Clint Gutherson as well, right? So and um, and I think most of the players that I've mentioned, um, probably other than Tedesco, I think. Um, now, Dylan Edwards has actually uh, won more grand finals uh, than them. So this is the problem that the Panthers were inevitably going to have, and this is where that whole succession planning, the whole, um, you know, uh, sort of getting into the, um, you know, the pathway systems and all that kind of stuff is now going to be tested um, because now you've got a player like Jerome Luai, who I think is very well liked within the playing group, and uh, he's going to probably get bumped out off the team. Uh, other than that, you're going to have Dylan Edwards. And then, you know, what's that going to do for the dynamic of the team, right? There are certain, you know, you've got to see Jerome Luai. He's got his, you know, I mean, I know they're all friends, but then he's got his close group of friends, right, within that group of 17 and 25 players or whatever. And then, you know, same thing with Dylan Edwards, right? There's, there's a few players that you could see that sort of, you know, that come from country New South Wales, a very similar background to Dylan who also love playing for the Panthers. So this is this is going to be the whole thing. Um, you know, the other suggestion is, well, why don't these players, well, why don't they, instead of going for the big money, why don't they just stay and win more pre- premierships? I think that's fine, but the problem is the coach's son didn't have to do that, right? <laughs> the coach's son mm-hmm. is not surprising, but these guys are. So this is where the, you know, and I, and I know that's maybe not in their thinking at the moment, but... I think down the track it would be. I think um, at home, at night, away from the boys, uh, with their family, 
thinking about certain financial pressures, you know, maybe that's that, that it's a different story, right? When when that sort of gets involved. So yeah, um, yeah. So look, I think for Jerome here, as you look, as much as I love for him to go to the Tigers, I think it'd be very beneficial to go into the Bulldogs or or a struggling club like the Dragons. I think just because on what he's on and what he could get going to a big club, I would say that he's probably more likely to find himself at the Roosters, um, the Storm, possibly even the Broncos if he wants to move up to Queensland. I feel like they're going to be the teams that will probably pick him up. That's my thoughts there. So, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, some good thoughts there. Um, and, uh, look, I think from my, from my two cents, I think we've uh, – you know, it's he's going to be asking. Uh, even though his kind of his stocks have gone down a little bit with what's happened in Origin, I still think he's got a good asking price, and that that really puts a lot of the big clubs, I think, out, out of the market because I think, especially the ones that have a stable kind of spine, um, they're they're less likely to uh, to want to, I guess, uh, put a lot of money forward. Uh, for someone who is is going to disrupt the the stability of their spine, um, if you're looking at the the teams that are kind of uh, in Sydney, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm kind of thinking Sydney is the most likely to, um, uh, you know, the Sydney clubs are most likely to make a play. Um, I I'm going to put a, a team out there which is going to make you laugh a little bit, Tish. And I think uh, the irony of this situation is that this may end up being a masterstroke. Um, there's a team in Sydney that has a player in the spine that is not performing very well and is probably, you know, probably not, uh, you know, has done some good things recently, but is probably struggling at the moment and may end up, uh, you know, if, if is, is about to change... Um, uh, well, actually, no, sorry. It's just this individual is about to, uh, you know, potentially be uh, needing a replacement or someone that can that can fill in for him. Um, now, I don't know what you think about this, but what about the Sharks? Matt Moylan is struggling Ooh. at the moment. Now, the reason why I say this might make you laugh is we had this whole kerfuffle about Nico <laughs> Hines and, and Luai in State of Origin. What if they end up in clubland together for the Sharks? I mean, wouldn't that be, you know, wouldn't that be special? <laughs> I think that would actually be awesome. I actually think they would work well together, ironically. Yeah. And, well, and yeah, where, so where, that's, that's my Mo- take. Where's Moylan from, right? He's from <laughs> Penrith, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and so, so, and I think, and I think a few times there's been some great players that have played for Penrith that moved on to the Sharks. Similar thing with Brad Fittler. Was, we always think about Brad Fittler going from Panthers to Roosters, right? So that's where that connection is. So, mm. um, look, uh, yeah, I mean, because um, the thing is, again, they're not really finding value out of Moylan, right? And where's I mean, I'm just looking again, looking back at the notes from last week. So are uh, they going to be under Cronulla? Broncos, Bulldogs, Raiders, Sharks. There we go. So he's on. Oh well, uh, Moylan's okay. So Moylan's on less pay. So m- maybe not. But I mean, they've got a. They've, it looks like they've got a bit of money, right, with the Sharks in terms of because everybody is sort of sub seven hundred thousand in their in their spine. And look, this is the opportunity then for the Sharks. You know, the Sharks have a. You know, uh, for the Sharks and for Jerome Luai because the pitch is going to be. You know, Jerome. We're a pretty successful team. We're still in the top eight. We possibly would make the top eight this year. 
you know, we were in the top three last year. We come on board and this is now your team, right? You know, at Penrith, it's the Nathan Cleary team. Now it's going to be the Jerome Luai team because, um, you know, you're going to be you're going to be the guy that's going to run the – like, you know, it's an opportunity to run a team and a run, and run a team that's sort of, you know, uh, the upper mid of the competition. So – why not? Right. That that is that is very compelling. So look, laughable yeah. to begin with, but I think also there's a lot of upside for Jerome going there. Right. I've got one more for you, and I'll leave I'll leave you guys on this because uh, this is another possible possibility, uh, and and I think th- so. I'm thinking the Dragons now. Now look at it this way: Ben Hunt is probably not going to be there, uh, mm. you know, and he's going to free up a little bit. He's on one point one million a year. Um, and, you know, Jerome Luai will be a reduction in that no, no matter what. There's no way he'll fetch 1.1 a, a year. So if that's the case, then I think you look at it as Dragons will have a new coach, a new era, a new era of discipline, uh, but also a winning coach who mm. knows what it takes to win uh, in in uh, despite the fact he's had some controversies and things, which may still... Um, you know, a lot of people will still not not be over it yet. Um, but that being said, uh, Shane Flanagan's going to be the coach, and it it is what it is. So I think the other thing is, if you need, uh, you know, what do you need when you have a big barbecue uh, that like Dragons players like to to have? You need a boombox, and you know, Jerome Luai, Jerome Luai can bring the music. So yep. to me, it's the party atmosphere. He's going to bring it in, uh, you know. Um, no, all all jokes aside, I think he's, um, you know, with Ben Hunt going, they will have a very, uh, you know, almost a no name spine <laughs> at the moment. Yep. So I think they need someone like a Jerome Luai that you can build a team around. You can start building some good centers around him and uh, and see how it goes. And then look, I, I genuinely think that's. I go back to what I've been saying in the past. I think Jerome Luai has been getting a bit of a bad rap um, in in origin circles. I think mm. um, it, fine, they needed to change to Cody Walker. Cody Walker, I mean, they both have kind of very legitimate, or you know, I would say not equal claims, but um, very close claims to to the same jersey, uh, in the Blues jersey number six. Um, but I think uh, a lot of people have been going on about how, you know, Luai is nothing without Cleary. I think it's more the other way around. I think Cleary, I know he's the best paid, almost the best paid player in the game, but I think time and again, we've seen, uh, you know, Luai is the one that has actually done a lot in origin at the time when we, a few years ago when we were winning um, by quite a bit. And they were talking about the, uh, the Queensland era being over. It was really Luai that sort of sparked that team with To'o, and others, and uh, I don't think Cleary, you know, Cleary does his job, and and he's really good at doing his job, and he's got a great kicking game, etc. But you know, how many times have we heard uh, people talk about J- Jerome Luai needs to run more in Origin? <laughs> Never, <laughs> because mm. he he does what he needs to do. He connects to the 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 outside backs. He does his job, and he does it well. He's unpredictable. Um, whereas whereas Cleary, for all his positives there's been multiple times where we've said you know what's he been doing out there um yeah. you know he needs to run more he needs to you, you know you and and this is the thing we hardly hear this of other players and yet i feel like a lot of the brunt of the criticism against the blues and the panthers 
culture has gone against Jerome Luai unnecessarily. So I think regardless of what happens, I think possibly it could be a great career move for him to get away from the negativity around this anti-Panthers sentiment um, that now has has uh, uh, has has enveloped Brad Fittler as well. There's this this per- perception out there that the reason why the Blues are not going well is because Brad Fittler is picking his Panthers players because of his Panthers association. I don't think that's the case, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, I think there's many other reasons why why we're not going so well, and Fittler's decision making in the game is is a problem and the recruitment uh, sorry the uh, the the um selections of the blues teams but again a lot of this seems to have gone back to panthers and then by implication Jerome Luai uh, no one says anything about Brian Tall no one says anything about Nathan Cleary a lot of it is about Jerome Luai so i think regardless of where he goes a change is uh going to be great for him um hopefully he gets a chance to kind of reset his image a little bit and I look forward to seeing, you know, him bringing a team up from, uh, whether it's the Dragons from the doldrums up into the top eight contention or whether it's the Sharks bringing them from, you know, just outside the top four like they did last year to making that next step to the grand final. Um, that's what I want to see him do. And I think that's his legacy will be strong if he's able to do that. So um, anyway, that's my view. Let's... Uh, Possibly, let's move on to a very important topic, which is uh, the rise of the Warriors and how, uh, well, let's hear from CEO Cameron George, uh, what he has to say against the NRL. So tackle number three, here we go. Last week, we spoke about the, the New Zealand Warriors uh, and their rapid rise uh, this year. What are they doing right? Is it Andrew Webster's, um, you know, brilliant, uh, you know, coaching? Obviously, that has a part to play. What else has he done? We, we kind of, I think, came to the conclusion that a lot of what they're doing at the Warriors is very much cultural. Um, they, they're certainly bringing in uh, a culture, a winning culture. They've, uh, they've, they're, they're bringing in uh, a lot of fans. It's a winning culture at the moment. It's bringing in fans. Uh, people are starting to really uh, talk about the Warriors having an identity um, and, and that they've got, you know, that that's kind of permeates in everything that they do. Um, and, and obviously winning brings a lot of that out of it. But, you know, you're looking at the positive stories of Sean Johnson and things like that. And, and he's, um, you know, uh, would you say a resurgence back to being another, uh, you know, a key player, another key clutch player that we remember him from years gone by. <clears throat> and um, and I guess, uh, I guess what we wanted to talk about rather than rehash all that discussion is uh, a very interesting interview that I heard. Uh, you can hear it on YouTube. It was uh, Cameron George went on to um, it's SENZ radio um, and I uh, don't know the names of the compares there or the hosts, but um, it was a fascinating interview where they, they delved into all sorts of things, um, pretty much uh, explaining a lot better than we did last week what uh, what the Warriors are doing right 
and 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 I recommend highly you go have a search for Cameron George SENZ interview on YouTube and you'll find it. Um, it's about 30 minutes. I highly recommend it to everyone. But what I wanted to do now, Tish, is talk through some of the things that um, that uh, that he said that's uh, uh, that is kind of relevant to um, what the Warriors are, are doing. But also um, a lot of what he said was uh, kind of anti anti-NRL, anti-Andrew Abdo, um, and quite rightly. And I think the key thing I wanted to, to, to raise is um, he he talks about, you know, when, when we had the COVID era, there was a lot of sacrifices made by, by teams and players when they had to kind of pretty much live and play wholly and solely in Queensland. Um, and... Uh, and and you know all uh, the the warriors i guess were the hardest hit because they they had to you know the the players had to kind of be apart from their family families uh, often many of them have young kids or you know it would it would have been very very difficult for you know and it's not just the players it's the the officials as well everyone really just so that they could enforce that bubble and and play covid safe uh during that time um and and at the time, if you remember, Tish, there was a discussion around, and certainly some comments from the NRL and Andrew Abdo in particular, where where they were really grateful for the the Warriors and and all the sacrifices that they had to make, and that um, you know they really said, look, there's there's a there's an opportunity here for the NRL to sort of uh, you know we won't forget this, we'll pay you back kind of thing. There will be um, you know we'll remember this that kind of thing, and. What Cameron George, CEO Cameron George of the Warriors, has said is uh, that that expectation hasn't really come to pass. They haven't really done anything to uh, to recognise the fact that the Warriors uh, sacrificed so much, and that there could have been something that the NRL could do to actually um, not so much compensate, you know, not financially compensate, but really. Uh, to give back to the people of New Zealand, even as a token gesture, here are some things that we can do to thank you for what you did during the COVID era, um, during the lockdowns. And and so Cameron George really spoke about this at length and some of the ideas that that he thought, you know, there's some things that they could have done and they could still do uh, the NRL to to beef up the game, to hype up the game in New Zealand, to give back, you know, as a as a goodwill gesture to Warriors fans and players and 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 the club really about what they did, and and so one thing that he noted was that uh, you know the only thing that we've seen, uh, even from other clubs, other NRL clubs, even if the NRL in general isn't uh, you know headquarters isn't doing anything. Um, the only club to actually, uh, you know, give something back to the Warriors is the West Tigers. Your West Tigers yes. are the only team to have actually committed to playing, uh, to taking one of their home games uh, over to them as a gesture of gratitude. So, that, so there's the Tigers and Warriors actually going to play at FMG Stadium Waikato in round 24 this year. So apart mm. from that, there's absolutely nothing. Now, when you consider that there's been so many... Um, you know, even my eels have taken home games to to who knows where in different Darn. places for various reasons. Well, some of those are, are kind of contractual, and that's fair enough. But you know, there's an argument to be made that look, look when when are we going to recognise the Warriors and what they did? Um, you know, the other thing he mentioned was okay. So the um, 
the the NRL did actually take its preseason Indigenous All Stars and Maori game, New Zealand Maori game to Rotorua earlier this year. Um, but really, apart from that and what the Tigers have done, there's really been nothing. And so he used this opportunity, uh, Tish, to uh, and feel free to stop me if you want to if you want any more um, clarification. But he sort of used that opportunity in the interview to sort of say there's so much that that the NRL could be doing that they're not doing. And he whinged a little bit about, uh, well, well, let's not say whinged. I think he actually legitimately uh, argued that the NRL needed to be doing more. He sort of said things like, you know, what are we doing with uh, taking the the games to Las Vegas next year? Um, What's the point of that? There's no, you know, he was sort of saying, "You're you're doing that NRL ahead of actually taking advantage of New Zealand. He said, look, it's not just that the Warriors are doing well this year, but there's there's a groundswell of support in New Zealand in general for rugby league. You know, why not take State of Origin, at least a game there? Why did you take it? He said, what's the point of taking it to um, uh, to the um, you know, to Adelaide or to Perth? Oh, yeah. You know, there's no point there. Why don't you take it to where the fans are and where you're going to get a really big boost and that Absolutely. would be New Ze- That would be New Zealand. And you know what? He's a hundred thousand percent right. We have talked about that constantly. Mm. That you know, if any, uh, if any venue is going to really bring state of origin to life, it would be bringing, uh, bringing it to New Zealand somewhere. Possibly Auckland as the, as the key key one first. Um, you know, and and again, he mentioned look. You know, how many Perth or Adelaide-born players are playing in the NRL versus how many are from New Zealand? Look, again, everything right. he right. said, I've got to say, Tish, I really recommend this to everyone. Uh, listen to him, the way he talks. He's really impressive. He seems like a man for the people and uh, really is able to articulate in a very clear way, you know, why is it we're making decisions like this when this is going to be, this should be a no-brainer. We should be doing this. Why aren't we doing this? Um, another thing he said, and this is uh, potentially NRL, but but also a club thing, and he does talk about how the clubs are very self-interested in the NRL, which is, as we know, 100% true. Um, <laughs> uh, he said Anzac Day. So we know we've got the traditional Roosters and Dragons Anzac Day clash. Fair enough. We also know, or some people maybe don't know, that there's also a Warriors and Storm traditional match that has started to become a tradition in, in I guess, the last decade and a half or, or whatever. Feels like at least a decade that that's been going. Um, and he said, never once has that game been taken to New Zealand. So on Anzac Day, we have no games in New Zealand. Now, we <laughs> we have spoken about we should have an actual test match in New Zealand or, yeah. or involving New Zealand. But failing that, why are we having two NRL games in Sydney and Melbourne on that day? And why are we establishing those as a traditions rather than bringing the one that involves the New Zealand team, the Warriors, why not get them to host it? You know, even I would say host it every year there in New Zealand rather than even Melbourne. Like what's the point of Melbourne? I know Melbourne is an important market, but his point is not we want it there every year. He was saying we've never once had it. And that mm. to me is preposterous. And I think, and I would agree 100% with Cameron George whinging about that and and saying, look, we've, we've argued for this, we've argued for that. It's, you know, um, he keeps saying, you know, hopefully next year things change. But, you know, again, is it going to change by just pointing it out? I don't think so. I wonder what, what it will take to get 
uh, the NRL to change their their views on these things. Um, he's also pitched an idea for a magic round. We, we've talked about, you know, we seem to yeah. have magic rounds in Brisbane all the time now. And again, why isn't that being done in New Zealand? Again, a top idea. We've got great venues there that, that we could really take it as a uh, as a as a um, a carnival of rugby, a festival of rugby league, so to speak. And again, New Zealand, you know, they've got one team at the moment in the NRL. Potentially there's been talk of, of a possible second team in a different area, possibly Wellington, possibly the South Island. We don't know. Um, but again, why have we not established some kind of, uh, you know, regular routine or a pattern there where we're, we're – we're, or or why, why aren't we being innovative? I think that's what he's sort of saying, you know. Um, but, but actually, sorry, he's he's talked. Let me let me rephrase that. He wasn't just talking about a magic round. He was talking about a magic round for the NRLW. So he was actually saying wow. for the women's game that would be something. Mm. But I'm going to take it a step further and say, why can't we have it for the NRL as well? Um, yeah. In fact, why can't we have a magic round where both <laughs> both the women's and the men's games are played? Uh, at the same venue, uh, you know, potentially that's too much. But, um, you know, there's an argument to be made that you could do either or, or both. Um, you know, again, that's a great idea. Why not do that? There's there's no reason why you can't do that um, and take advantage of it. And the final thing I, I wanted to say um, that he mentioned was uh, the way that the local New Zealand uh, governing bodies in rugby league have done deals with NRL teams, not the Warriors, uh, to create pathways for their players. So I think he said the Canterbury uh, region has done a deal with the Bulldogs, so that the you know Canterbury, I guess, so that the part there's a pathway for players to go to the Bulldogs in the NRL. And then I think he said the Auckland Rugby League, the ARL there, has done a deal with Manly. Uh, to to do to create a pathway for their junior players that are just kind of uh, you know on the edge of of entering first grade in seniors um, to create a pathway for them for the NRO and he was sort of saying you know this is ridiculous why why are none of them uh, uh, you know involving or, or having a, a deal with the Warriors. You know, mm. why are we losing our young players? This is the worst thing that can happen. And, and what you really want to do is make sure you create a clear pathway uh, with the 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 not you know the lower leagues, I guess, or um, in New Zealand. So that is not not again. NRL could actually play a role in in yeah, boosting in New Zealand this, rugby right? in the governing of that. So a yeah. lot look a lot there to unpack. Sorry about that. That's a, there's a lot there, but. Uh, yeah, uh, do you have any thoughts on any of those comments that he made? Well, firstly, Dr. Taylor, I love your passion, right? Whenever you make uh, references to hundreds and thousands, I'm, I'm, my ears perk up, right, because, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's there. But, it, look, it, look, I think they're all valid points and, you know, and, uh, yeah, look, I, I mean, I knew the Tigers were playing there, but I, I just wanted to double-check and I went through the door and you are right. And, you know, the thing about that is that, look, it is the NRL, but, look, I actually – you know, I did hear certain commentators last year talk about that, and you know, even people that were involved, even people that are involved in running of other NRL clubs, who've even had an association with the uh, with the Warriors in the past. You know, their their home game did not go to the Warriors, right? So, um, and I think everybody was talking about like, hey, you know, at least one 
what was it like? Let's sacrifice one home game that we play so the Warriors get to play a full season at home or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's a great initiative, uh, and I think it would work well. And you know, the Magic Round thing I think is a no-brainer, really, because um, you know the only, uh, you know, the thing that that sort of uh, I think people will think about is, oh, you know, the time zone differential is there. But then, you know, in Magic Round, you're playing games at odd times anyway, right? <laughs> so. You know, the 8 o'clock game becomes a 10 o'clock game in New Zealand. Maybe that might be a bit late, but then start everything two hours earlier. I mean, we play a 6 o'clock game anyway, right? So I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, put it that way, right? To to actually get it organized properly. Um, you know, it's 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 just that uh yeah, they're they're just um you know, it's something that uh, you know, when the NRL needed um the worries to to, to run the competition and be part of it. The Warriors made it, but now in return, yeah, I, I think I could understand where the sentiment is coming from. Um, let's hope that, um, you know, it's not too late to sort of um, make good on your uh, promise, right? Like, you know, you could, um, you know, let, I mean, what's, uh, is there anything stopping round 26, you know, round 26, the la- or round 27, the final round of the season, we could take all the games to, um you know, to to New Zealand for that game, for for that sort of thing. Um, I love the the idea of an NRLW um, Magic Round in New Zealand. I think that's absolutely fantastic because you do need to grow women's rugby league, not just in Australia but also in New Zealand. So that could be that could be amazing, actually. So um, I think it's I think it's going to be yeah. So yeah, look, let's hope the NRL can can uh, you know listen to at least one of their clubs, which um, has been doing well. Look at the crowds. The crowds have been responding, so it shows that there's an appetite for rugby league in New Zealand and not just a, not just for, like, a single event but for ongoing support. So um, let's let, let's hope that we can get something uh, organised for them, um, you know, in, in uh, you know, hopefully by the end of this year but at least for next year. Absolutely. And I, like I said, I would recommend strongly everyone goes out, gets out there and finds this uh, on YouTube and, and has a listen because uh, he's, you know, he's well-spoken. He really articulates well the passion. Uh, he seems to be very knowledgeable. And there's, look, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't say that he talks about the way Andrew Webster has come in and really changed the culture. And, uh, uh, you know, it, he convinced me. I think he's probably Andrew Webster in the running for being coach of the year already this early stage based on what I've heard, the way he does things. So um, really well done. And uh, look, yeah, have a listen to that. Well, and yep. on, on the Andrew Webster point, he was Penrith assistant. You know, Serralda got all the news. Look at Serralda's roster and look at the Warriors' roster and who's done what with their roster. And then you'll you realise what a great job Andrew Webster has done. Absolutely, uh, a lot of people are saying that already. That you know they got the they got the good assistant, <laughs> but that's uh, <laughs> they got the better one. But look, uh, you know, and that's and that's the thing. The I I don't, didn't know enough about him. Honestly, I don't know nothing about him even now, uh, and and where he's come from and what his background is. But um, but yeah, everything was all about Seraldo at the time, and no one really uh, gave a second thought to uh, to Andrew Webster. And I think. Um, the one thing that that uh, that he said was that when when he went to um, uh, Cameron George said that when he went to uh, the meet with the players the very first day, um, the first thing he did was he brought them all together, 
And he basically said, look, uh, I have everything I need here to get a successful team going. You know, I'm not going to go out and start buying players. We've got everything that we need here. We just need to start putting in the work, do the little things right. Um, Cameron George, so that to me, Cameron was saying, uh, was was really indicative of uh, the the a positive boost. Like, can you imagine a new coach comes in? Usually there's going to be changes. Oh, I want my players. I want this. I want this system. I want that system. He just sort of came in and said, you know, we, we've got everyone we need. Let's um, let's get on with it, and and we'll, we'll start putting some processes in place. That really gives players bo- a boost because they they kind of think, well, now I'm not going to get sacked or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it, it gives them a bit of a confidence that their coach has in them. Um, and and yeah, so the other the other thing I think he said was, um, oh, I forget what he said, but yeah, the, Cameron was just basically saying. Uh, look, he's uh, he's come in and and he's done he's done things very well from the very beginning. Oh, that's the other thing. He said what the focus has been for them is winning every day, winning everything. When you go out and do your training, win win training, win the day, win the little do the little things, everything you do. Um, if you do well at training, you know everything else. Like, don't look at it's not about. And this is where I think it's interesting. Maybe this is where there's a difference between Webster and the the Gould era uh, in the Panthers, where there's a five-year, ten-year plan. Uh, he's sort of saying, well, you know, what everyone needs to know is we just need to do the little things well, um, get do the little things right, and success will come. We're not we're not necessarily saying we're going to promise a premiership or whatever. We've just we just get out there and win the day, win the training session. Win, win the little bits and pieces, win the small one percentage plays. Uh, and that is kind of what I was saying earlier. This is why the Warriors are successful this year is they're doing those one percenters. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah, go have a listen let's, to let's, it. Recommend let's, it. Let's get to know Andrew Webster. Are you ready for a pop quiz on an Andrew Webster question there, Dr. T? Oh, we're we doing this now, are we? Okay. 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 <laughs> you so got one. Okay, do it. You put me on the spot there. Andrew Webster shares a birthday from which of the following celebrities? Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, Zoe Dachanel, or Kirk Cameron? I think Taylor Swift. Bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> the, the answer is Zoe Dachanel. <laughs> oh, I should have guessed that. <laughs> All right, all right. I was never good at multi-choice. All right, go for it. Next. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's all I have. Oh, what that's a pop quiz. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Good. Oh, I failed. Excellent. All right, I you know win the win the small ones, right? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, all right. Here we go with uh, tackle number four. We're going to talk about Nico Hines. <laughs> All right. Nico Hines has got into a bit of trouble uh, for having a bit of a spray at the sideline uh, touch judge uh, referee. Is that what we call I don't know. We, we call them different names. They used to be called the touchy. And this touchy was touchy because uh, she got a bit of a, a spray from Nico Hines about some key decisions that she had made. And, in fact, I think he got so passionate. He said three times, put three fingers up to say three times you've done this. And... Oh boy, has the social media and everyone really gone into into it? In fact, I think Nico Hines has been—he uh, hasn't been suspended, but I think he's been 
call to answer for it <laughs> with the NRL. So he's in a bit of trouble. Uh, I, I don't know if you caught uh, the video of it, but I didn't think it was terrible, I don't think. Um, I think we've seen worse from players, but this isn't necessarily about Nico Hines. This is more about, um, I think... Tish, even, you know, I guess even in the same game, we had the referee pull I think you said you, you saw the referee uh, pushing DCE away, yeah. saying, you know, I've had enough of you, get away from me. So there tends to be a, uh, a there's a proliferation of this talking back and and having a go at referees, etc. And and I think I, I'm kind of raising the question here, then the Nico Hines situation has kind of brought it to a head. Uh, and it's got a lot of media attention, but is there a general problem that we've we're seeing this year where a lot of players are just sort of constantly arguing, constantly talking back? Um, you know, we we we've seen. Um, uh, was it Reese Walsh actually got in trouble in yeah. Origin for that very reason? And 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 to me, the most uh, well, uh, you know, not to get too serious, but I was a bit annoyed and disgusted at at the way. Uh, the, he got sent off, and then, uh, and then you know, he kind of uh, smiled and and raised, you know, pointed to his emblem, mm. Queensland emblem, on his shirt, and got the crowd going. Um, and and the commentators were kind of like, oh, you never see this, do you? A smiling re- a person who's got you know sent off the field, um, you know, red carded or whatever, sent off the field, and and uh, he's happy about it. Uh, and I think the problem is that the underlying reason for why he got sent off was not addressed, and 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 it seems like that that kind of behaviour is excused because he's got a bit of a personality, and because it was kind of um, you know not deemed as important as uh, as some of the other behaviours. But I just wonder whether that kind of is a is a tipping point. I think for we really need to take a look at how we treat referees and. Um, you know, I think it's one thing for us to sort of whinge about and fan the general fan to whinge about the bunker and things like that. I think that's fair enough. And I'm actually okay with, you know, if you're at, at the ground and poor, there are poor decisions, you're going to get booed if you're a referee. Bad luck. <laughs> that that happens. Mm. Um, often it's justified, especially if you're, you've, uh, you've had a few beers, it feels like it's justified. But, um, but players are a different situation. I think if when players start fighting back, um, and 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 venting frustration, um, you know, a it doesn't achieve any outcomes. Like Cameron Smith never vented; he he had he played the politician's way of doing it. He did it a very cunning way. He wasn't angry or passionate like like some have been. And so, a it doesn't work, and b it's not a good look, and it's not a good role model uh, behavior for for the kids out there. So I wanted to throw that to you. What do you reckon? Oh, is this kind of getting worse? Um, okay. All right. <laughs> it's very hard to say, right? Because I think back chatting, I mean, like it's it sort of gone away for a while, but it could also be that maybe referees were a lot more better able to ignore these, right? Because even just going through a little bit of a transcript of what was said, you know, it is just somebody questioning this penalty keeps going, right? Like, you know, that's that's three and, you know, like, um, so, like, you know, like, uh, was he, was he, is this mistakenly he was actually asking for advice? So that's three. So how do I change my passing technique? 
so it goes backwards. Maybe that's what he was saying, you know, like, you know, I've got like 15 going back and I've got these three wrong. I don't know, like, you know, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just all sort of jokes aside though. I think, I think, yeah, because look, I, it's been pulled up this time a couple of times by a couple of different players and Nico Hines doesn't seem to be the overly aggro player that some other players seem to be, right? Um, so mm-hmm. this is kind of a bit weird and sort of out of character of him being pulled up. Um, I do get it. They're under a lot of pressure, the players, because, um, you know, it's coming up towards the business end of the season. They're in the fight for the finals. They haven't been playing well. This game was not a very good game for them either. And then, you know, calls go against your way. There was a lot of penalties. That the, That's one thing I did notice about the Sharks too. They gave away so many penalties in that game. Um, I had no idea what was going on. And, you know, sometimes... Uh, sometimes you sort of look at that and you think, well, are they being a sort of, you know, subconsciously is there like a, are they getting marked a little bit harder than, say, their opposition a little bit? Like, you know, I mean, you know, because like I feel like sometimes, you know, um, all teams kind of hold down players, but then, you know, one club seems to do it incorrectly or seems to do it just that slight bit longer and then it they get punished for it, right? Mm. Uh, uh, you know, it, throughout the game, uh, and then, um, but then at the end of the game, uh, the average play the ball speed is the same between both, in, in, between the, like virtually the same between both teams, right? So, did they actually even do it more than Manly, or was it just that they were policed a bit more harshly? So, I feel like there's so many subjective things in this area that that it's it's really hard to figure this out. What I would say is that look. Use your hands. Oh, sorry, use your words. Don't use your hands. Right. So, um, you know. So, uh, and look, the captain is the one designated to talk to the referee, and I think there should be a, a sort of level of respect uh, to authority. So, I think that in the end, um, you know, it's up to the player to. Uh, you know, we're all responsible for what we say, right? So, um, in in that sort of vein, I think you know, there's probably not really any sort of excuse for a player telling off a referee because the referee is there to police the game. Um, you know, I, I'm sure if there is a, a a bias or something like that that you think is going on and it's there, I mean, the, this is probably the other thing that isn't there. There should be a channel for the club and for the team um, to actually make their case for something like that, right? Um, there isn't mm. actually an independent audit in this area, right, where you can actually say, well, look at these sort of decisions and certain clubs get um, penalised in the same way in certain ways and it's it's really not that all that different from other clubs that seem to not get penalised in those ways. What's actually going on? Because it could be just a subconscious bias or something, I don't know. Like, but, um, you know, the, but there should be an avenue, don't you think, to be able to question the referee's uh, impartiality because that's what happens to everybody that's in a position of law as well. So so that's, yeah, so there you go. We don't really have that. So it just sort of, rep, you know, so players, what do they do? They get frustrated and then just stay out on the field maybe. So I think, I think the, yeah, so players shouldn't say anything, but I think there should also be an avenue to be able to speak as well. Yeah, and I think the I, I guess it goes back to outcomes, I guess. If everyone thinks of someone like a Cameron Smith as being the master at doing this, uh, and getting good outcomes and potentially then mm. getting favourable outcomes, 
then maybe we need to look at what is he doing right. And I think the thing is, you know, anytime you question and say, no, you are wrong, um, yeah. you know, uh, if, if think about it, if you're on the other side and someone's questioning, your, your job is to be a judge of a particular thing and, and that person then says, you are wrong. Well, firstly, immediately, just the fact that you're saying, no, that was a forward, no, I disagree, that was a forward to pass and I'm going to be passionate about it it immediately puts the adjudicator offside, <laughs> you know, immediately you're, you're questioning my authority, you're questioning my, what are you saying that I'm right? You know, now some referees are able to handle it, some of the more experienced ones and say, no, that's not what I saw and I'm the decision maker, that's it, let it go. Um, now with the bunker, you've got the added sort of um, opportunity to challenge you know, the captain's challenge is, I think, one avenue that you mentioned, well, how else can you do it? Well, a captain's challenge, it, when appropriate, you could you could apply it, um, and you should. Uh, so really, there should be less whinging. The fact that we've got a captain's challenge means that you've got a mechanism now that you never had before in years gone by. So why are we seeing more of it? Potentially, I think, because there's a lot more at stake. Um, I mm. think some of the captain's challenges that we're seeing are frivolous and really stupid, and... Yeah. You know, players get up and, and act like, nah, I, I completely, his hand was on the ball. I didn't knock it on in the play of the ball. And then you see the you see the sheepish, idiot, idiotic grins of, of the, the big screen showing what a stupid decision it was to challenge it. You know, so the, in, to your point, there is a mechanism, one mechanism. But the other bit is really to look at how do you, what does Cam Smith do, uh, you know, mm. Uh, what would Jesus do? You know, what would Cam Smith do is what you yeah. need to ask here. And and really, he he would never say, no, you're wrong. He may he he does it in a questioning way. And I think that's the, the nuance of it and the brilliance of it. He does yeah. it in a, are you sure? You yeah. know, he, it's that so kind of thing. the shoulders. He looks like, go, you know, maybe he shakes his head. He doesn't, certainly doesn't do it passionately and go up to them and, and you know, stick his fingers up and say, you've done this four times already, mate. You know, like he, mm. he would never do that. And and he gets the results. You know, again, what's the ultimate outcome you want? If you go up to someone in an aggro way and say, you are wrong, I disagree with you and flail about and be passionate, all you're doing is putting them offside immediately. They're going to start going, oh, that guy's an idiot or, you know, if anything, they're going to dig in and and maybe their performance is going to even get worse because what you've done is <laughs> you've angered them. Um, the other way to approach it is if you ask that person in a questioning way, you know, mm. make them think about their decision, you know, are you sure about that? Maybe, you know, even if you get to the point of saying, you know, pay attention to that team, you know, or uh, look, I can't, I can't vouch for what Cam Smith used to say, but I would imagine he would have said things like, you know, are you watching them as well as you're watching us, mate? You know, that kind of thing. That's mm. not that's not about integrity. That's not about saying you're biased. That's kind of saying, you know, fine, you busted us, but make sure you do it to them as well. So he's kind of reminding them of their responsibilities to be better. So if anything, yeah. if anything, by the way he approached used to approach it, it was probably increasing the chance that that referee would be more uh, more likely to get a better uh, better decision or, or pay more attention and and ultimately yeah ultimately it was it was a bit of a cunning ploy and a bit of a game that he was play was playing to make sure that he got the referees on side uh, but again let's learn from that 
um, all jokes aside, I know I, I talk a lot about Cam Smith here and, you know, uh, yeah. us and the Eels go way back uh, with the storm and, and what happened then in 2009. But um, it's it's much more than that. I think there's there's value in looking at that and, and how he's done things. Yeah. Um, Tish, final thoughts? Well, look, um, I think every player should go out and read Cameron Smith's book, his new book, How to Win Friends and Influence Referees. <laughs> That's right. I didn't know he did that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a great book. I think uh, Tony Robbins has recommended it. So if you can <laughs> Oh, <go> wow. <laughs> if Tony Robbins recommends it, I'm there. That's it. Uh, all right. All it needs is the audible version to be read by um, Gordon Tallis or something. You know, like that. <laughs> That to me is what I'd, I'd really like to hear. But look, um, all right, that's enough of that. Let's move on to tackle number five, the NRLW's round one. All right, apologies for your burst eardrums out there. <laughs> Okay, sorry, brother. <laughs> uh, no, that's all right. Um, look, as the song says, girls just want to play rugby league. <laughs> that's, that's really right. what it's about. Um, look, let me just go through the, uh, the the games. We had five games, uh, obviously 10 teams now, so the, the ever-expanding NRLW. Um, uh, so the Titans, 16-6 uh, over the Cowboys at Seabus Super Stadium in front of seven or almost 8,000 fans, which is Really, really good. Uh, the Newcastle Knights, 32-16 over the Dragons at McDonald Jones Stadium in front of 8,000 fans on a Saturday. The Roosters, 36-18, smashing the Broncos uh, at Sunshine Coast Stadium. Uh, a low crowd there, 2,000. I don't know why that was the case. Um, Tigers and Eels, 36-6, the, Eel, the Tigers over the Eels at Combank Stadium in front of 2,000 or so fans on Sunday uh, lunchtime. And then, finally, um, Sharks... 28 to 14 over the Raiders at PointsBet Stadium uh, in front of 10,000 fans, which is fantastic. Um, mm. Look, a lot of good crowds there. Uh, you know, building, building, building. I think that's the name of the game for the NRLW. It's they're, they're in, it's still in its infancy as an organisation and as a competition. Um, obviously, it's expanded a few times in recent times. But look, the Roosters. Uh, you know, it's all about the Roosters this year. I think they're they're kind of uh, they're they're going to dominate most teams. The fact that they've dominated the Broncos says something uh, um, <clears throat> about the way they're going to play this year. But look, I don't know what's happening with my Eels. We were up we were up six four or something, and then we ended up mm-hmm. losing thirty six to six. So I don't know what happened there. Uh, total capitulation, unfortunately. Um, you know, a lot of good things. A lot of good games there and and like like i said i, I think to me there's a uh, uh you know good to see the newcastle knights again with a good crowd there but look sharks and raiders if you were to say a sharks and raiders game in the nrl men's would be the highest um would get you the highest crowd on the weekend i'd laugh at you but for some reason in the nrlw uh, this is what happened at PointsBet Stadium. 10,000 or so fans there, uh, you know, beating all other games in terms of the crowd. Um, but, yeah, well done to the girls. I think there's there's a um, – you know, we the, the season has started now, but it's going to end up on the same day. I think the NRL Grand Final, which has been announced to be in Sydney this year at, 
Accor Stadium, as expected, will actually have both the NRL men's and the women's grand finals on the same day, which is brilliant. Um, so while the season starts a bit later than the men's uh, and is a much reduced season, it is very much, uh, you know, aiming towards that same final day. So looking forward to the games ahead. Tish, do you have any comments on the first round of NRLW? Well, look, I think it's great to have a competition with 10 teams. Um, now it feels like an actual competition, right, an actual uh, full season. So I think it's great. And, uh, yeah, look, I mean, obviously really excited to see the West Tigers win. Um, I know that the Tigers have actually had a strong focus in women's rugby for a long time. They were the New South Wales premiers last year, and I think that um, a lot of the players are, you know, players who come from the area as well. So, you know, which I think really um, makes, you know, and when I say the area, I'm talking about the the, the sort of the Campbelltown part of the, um, you know, of, of the franchise, although um, they've actually got a player that's actually born in um in uh, Melbourne as well, so that's that, which is kind of <laughs> exciting too. So, look, I think um, this is the thing about um, we've got the women's and you know what you sort of realise is that um, you know the sport. Some of the teams that have got the great men's teams, they don't necessarily have the great women's teams, right? And I think this is the thing about the NRLW, right? Because it's a new competition, starting up new. Um, you know, the more they could expand this game, as you said, with taking it to New Zealand or taking it into other areas, I think it's got a real good opportunity to grow really quickly in terms of female participation, which I think is great. And I actually really quite enjoy the style of play. I feel like, um, you know, it is developing. They're, they're sort of improving all the time. The, um, you know, the, you know there's, there's elements that you see year upon year improving. But, you know, um, there was like a couple of plays where it kind of reminded me of like, you know, I think it was in the Sharks game where um, the uh, you know Emma Tamagata scored a try where she just sort of sidestepped and outpaced her op- opposite number, and those are the type of tries you don't sort of see in the NRL anymore, right? The NRL is kind of like sometimes a bit too structured and all that kind of stuff. There's not like an individual play that will score a try, right? But you know, if I go back to the days of Laurie Daly and Brad Fittler and all those players in the five-eight position, Cliffy Lyons. There used to be that individual brilliance that one player could pull off that would actually lead to a try. And you actually, I feel like you could see that a bit more in the NRLW than what you can see in the NRL just because of, you know, the, the there's more freedom to express yourself in this competition. So uh, really looking forward to it. And look, the best thing is all the games are on Channel 9, so on free-to-air television, um, so on, on your Saturday and Sundays. So, you know, hopefully... There can be a lot of people and they can get some good ratings with people watching this. All right, absolutely. And finally, let's go into tackle number six, the tips for round 22. Here we go. Both of us got four out of eight last weekend, so the margin is the same, but you are now on 97 and I'm on 91 uh, points for the year so far. Let's go straight into round 22 tips. We've got the Broncos and the Roosters this Thursday at the Gabba. Uh, I am tipping the Broncos. Yeah, I'm tipping the Broncos as well. Tigers v Rabbitohs at Scully Park. Friday at 6 p.m. I'm tipping the Rabbitohs. 
Okay, I'm going to go for an upset. Let's go for the Tigers. Hopefully. Oh, go the Tigers. <laughs> well done. Uh, Storm versus Eels, the Friday main game at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne. I'm tipping the Eels. Oh, look, you know, let's give it to the Storm. Let's see what they can do. Raiders versus Knights at GRO Stadium. It's Saturday, 3 p.m., so coldness is not going to be a factor. Um, Raiders versus Knights. I'm tipping the Knights. I think the Knights have done enough to sort of show that they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're in a bit more contention than they used to be. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of the days of Paul Harrigan versus Quinton Pongia. So I'm going to go for the Raiders. All right. The Dragons versus Manly Warringah Seagulls, Saturday 5.30 at Wynn Stadium. Uh, despite the fact it's a home game, I think Manly are uh, probably clear favourites on this one. Yeah, I'm tipping Manly. And, uh, yeah, this could even move him into the top eight. Or maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, let me have a look, actually. You made, a, made an interesting point. Um, yes. Well, it depends on the other results, I think. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They could they could be in the top eight at the end of that round. Panthers v. Sharks at Blue Bet Stadium, one of the betting stadiums. Panthers, I think, will win this one. They're on a roll. Yeah, I think so, too. I think the Panthers are specials against the Sharks. Bulldogs v. Dolphins, Sunday at Salter Oval. Does anyone know where Salter Oval is? I don't know. Uh, mm. But let's go for the Dolphins on this one. I think the Bulldogs are a bit of a shambles this year. I don't see them getting out of it anytime soon. So Dolphins with a, a coming off a bye will be doing very well. Yeah, I think Salter Oval is right next to Pepper uh, Stadium. <laughs> so I'm going to go for I'm going to go for the Dolphins. Team. All right, all right. Finally, the Titans and the Cowboys at Seabus Super Stadium Sunday 4 p.m. game. I am tipping an upset. I know the Cowboys are doing really well. I get the feeling that the Titans are poised to upset the Cowboys. It's a it's a Queensland derby, when you know, even though they're miles, thousands of miles apart, I I just get the feeling that the Titans are, are just brewing. Something's going to happen, and the Cowboys might let this one slip. Yeah, I don't I don't get that feeling, uh, <laughs> but I, I get the feeling that the Cowboys are their specials for the year. I think they're going to be. Uh, Really hard to beat net from now on. So I'm going to go for the Cowboys. All right. Well, and obviously the bye goes to the Warriors. So I have a strong feeling that they'll get the two points out of that, which will which will bring them. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, well, they won't. Uh, they they'll still. Well, they're going to rely on the Storm and the Raiders. Let's see what happens. They could end up being clear third at the end of this round so there you go look it's been an epic episode we've we've gone through quite a lot a lot to discuss as usual in the world of rugby league thanks tish and thanks everyone for listening and uh, don't forget to listen to that cameron george interview it's really awesome uh over to you to wrap this one up tish well look i'd like to thank everybody for listening and uh, and uh, thank you for supporting the show but that's all the time that we have for this edition of the rugby league republic we're your host tish and dr t Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.